This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. Welcome into another episode of Five on Three, WFUV's NHL podcast on Thursday, June seventeenth, two thousand and twenty-one. Just about six hours before puck drop between the Isles and Lightning for Game Three. Mike Messina and Tyler Mooney here, as always, and. There's enough to talk about with these first two games between the Islanders and the Lightning. Uh, the Islanders get the split on the road, which they did not do. Yeah, it was not technically on the road last year, but they didn't get that split last year. They lost the first two games, and this year they get it. And this has been the recipe for them is, is go out, split, and come home. And tonight is the biggest game this building has seen in 28 years. And um, I'm excited. I'm already a little nervous. Heart's pounding a little bit, but Tyler, I – it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be rocking in that place tonight, and I am very jealous of all twelve thousand nine hundred people that are gonna rock the barn tonight. Yeah, I cannot wait to watch this game tonight. And this the first two games of this series has been really everything you'd want out of a playoff series. I mean, you knew was it eight seconds into the first game, and there was already like a little scrum. And I was watching that, and I was like, all right, this is gonna be an absolute war. And yeah, you said that the Islanders did what they've done the first two series. They went out and won one game on the road, which is what you got to do. They've got the home ice now. We've talked about it the entire playoffs. The Coliseum is one of the hardest places to go in and play. And, I mean, Varlamov got a little scared there for you guys in a second. I didn't know if he was going to come back in game two, but good thing he did come back because he's looked outstanding so far. I mean, I think the Islanders, they've, they've, they've been playing at the best of their abilities the last few games, and I think it's also coinciding with this kind of reemergence of Matt Barzell. He wasn't really scoring at the start of the playoffs. And I mean, it's no secret that if the Islanders didn't go against a goalie named Tristan Jari in the first round, we could be talking about the Penguins right now and not the Islanders, but they won and that's all that matters. And halfway through that Bruins series, something lit under Matt Barzell because now he's been on an absolute goal scoring tear. And I think the Islanders are playing the best that they maybe played at all season, which is the exact point that you want to be doing that. Tyler. Yeah. You hit, you hit it right on the head. Matt Barzell, Goal in game one and a goal in game two. And he, he's been playing phenomenal ever since ever since they played Boston. But like both of you pointed out, the key to this series and every series that the Islanders have played in so far is getting that game in one of the first two games when they're playing at someone else's arena. That is huge. That gives them all the momentum in the world coming back to the Coliseum. Yeah, they, they lost game two, four to two. Um, a game that honestly they, they, they could have came back and won. They had plenty of chances to come back and win that game, but they still have momentum coming into the Coliseum. That place is going to be rocking tonight, Chris. I've never been to the Coliseum, so I'm not sure. I, I, I see on TV, I can imagine the atmosphere that the fans bring in that when, it, when it's a packed house, how, how, how it is. But I can only imagine that they're going to be blowing that place up tonight in every way possible. And, and the fans are going to be in it from the second the puck drops till, till the very last whistle and probably before that and after that as well. So, so I'm excited to see how, how this team gets energized from the crowd and just from being at their home arena. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be loud in there. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I can only imagine the line outside Borelli's right now to get in there too. It's going to be loud at every bar and restaurant and every, every house in the 60 mile range of that bill on the 90, 94, whatever it is, to my house because my house will be rocking too. Um, the loudest I've ever been there for was regular season game in March of 2019. 
they clinched the playoffs with a win against Buffalo, and they won five to one. So the whole third period was just a party. I mean, it was singing and dancing and just I mean, it was literally like like a wedding. It was unbelievable. It was like all these people celebrating something that it seemed like they had accomplished, but actually all they did was sit there and pay for the tickets. And if they win tonight, I, I don't even know. I can't even imagine. Um, I already made uh, all my family members promise that if the Islanders win seven more games, they will take the day off. We will go to Long Island for the P-A-R-A-D-E. Not allowed to say the word. Uh, don't want to jinx it, but everybody's going if they make it that far. So I'm ready, man. I am ready. Uh, and it should be a good game tonight. Game one, I thought was honestly the game the Islanders want to play every time they step on the ice. Um, they keep this game 0-0 for as long as possible. Barzell gets a break, puts it in between Vasilevsky's leg, give him a one nothing lead. Pulak with a rocket gives him the 2-0 lead, and they hang on for dear life after that. Um, that's the Barry Trotz game, and they got away from that a little bit in game two. Now, there was one goal where there were six players on the ice, and the refs stink, and we can talk about that for an eternity. But the Islanders benefited from potentially the worst call I've ever seen in my life. So uh, it's hard to complain necessarily. But when you win game one, the split hurts. And when you lose game one, the split feels like like the biggest victory in the world. When in reality, it's just a split. And it's what everybody would have taken coming in. And, and I think you have to be happy about it. The, the one thing that I am you know, questioning in terms of the NHL, and they do change the refs every game, but how does the New York Saints guy, he's the same ref as Game 5, whose name I can't remember right now. I'll look it up in a second. The Game 5 ref against the Bruins, ref Game 2 of the, of the Eastern Conference Finals, or the Stanley Cup Semifinals, I'm sorry. Because it was embarrassing for the league to have the New York Saints thing. And as much as I loved like the petty people in the parking lot playing when the Saints go marching in on the trombone, which was hysterical – it was kind of a crappy look for the league, right? To have an entire fan base unite against the other team's coach and your officials and play a ridiculous song over and over and over again and chanting New York Saints. It was a not the best look for the league. I think we can admit that. And to have that guy not only officiate another game for the rest of the season, but officiate an Islander game makes no sense. And I feel like that's not being talked about when what is being talked about, and it's fair, is Pellick should have gotten a penalty, not Braden Point. And they had seven guys on the ice when they scored the goal. I don't know how the NHL keeps doing this over and over and over again. You really only need like two officials to like be competent for the next like four weeks and you're good. And they still can't figure that out. Uh, I don't know what you thought about everything that happened on, uh, I guess that would have been Tuesday, Tyler, but I thought it was embarrassing again because it feels like they don't learn their lesson ever. Yeah, I believe the official's name is Francois Saint Laurent. Is that the is that the guy? Okay, yeah. I knew it was extremely French, and if I tried without looking it up, I wasn't going to get it right. But um, yeah, you hit it right on the head. I mean, the Pelic on point play that was a pretty obvious. It should not have been a penalty on Braden Point. I don't know how the official can. I believe he was the official trailing the play, but I don't know how you can see Pelic fully extend both of his arms in a cross check cross checks point right into Varlamov then he calls a penalty on point and yeah I mean the NHL has plenty of good officials and I get if you want to continue having this guy officiate games in the playoffs but the least you can do is not have him officiate that same team that he just had such a terrible game against or refing one of their games just just a few few days before so 
I agree. It seems like the NHL is just kind of shooting themselves in the foot here. It's such an easy thing to just avoid. And they seemingly can't do it. Like it's, it's such an easy thing to fix. Just don't have this one ref officiate this one team's game. You have so many refs. The, f- the fact that Braden point got, got a penalty for getting pushed cross-checked into Varlamov is crazy. I mean, it makes no sense to me. And that's not even the first time or it's not the 20th time that we've seen someone getting cross-checked from behind into a goaltender or tripped a uh, wise on a breakaway into the goaltender and get a penalty. Like how, how are these refs making a call like that in such a crucial game that it is, I'm not going to say must win, but I mean, I'm, Every game is must win, I would say, this deep into the playoffs. So to make that call, it's just embarrassing. And I understand the ref situation. Uh, I understand the NHL situation, having the refs ref the same team. Maybe it's something they have to do, or maybe it's like they're, they're obligated to, to ref a certain team a certain number of times when it gets this late in the playoffs. But if that's the case, they need to tighten it up, man. They, they need to they need to learn what's like what's a penalty on who and what what's not. And like to be making that call on such a crucial time, man, it's it just not a good look, Chris, like you said. Um, I don't have a problem with the ref ref in the Islanders games. That doesn't bother me, but tying it up, clean it up and like make, make the right calls that that's all, that's all people want to see. And it, it's just constant inconsistency. Like, 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 like you said, the, uh, the goal with six men on the ice, like, how does that happen? Stuff like that can't be happening this late into playoffs, no less the first game of the season. So I don't have an issue with it, but just clean it up and make the right calls. That's all you can ask for. I'm interested to see what you guys think about this one. So when it first happened, the goal, the Palat goal, it was like, okay, Barzell makes a horrible defensive play, right? The guy is coming down, Kucherov, Letty's on him. You cannot double the puck in an on-man situation. Barzell's going to go cover uh, Palat. He doesn't, wide open shot, he scores. So it's completely on Barzell, whether or not there's 11 guys on the ice or three. Barzell needs to cover that guy. But there are six players firmly playing the game of hockey. There are actually seven on the ice, but he's getting off. So there really are six. And considering too many men in the ice should be, you could argue it's not, should be an objective call. There are subjective parts of the rule, whether or not a guy is close enough to the bench to count, that kind of situation. But at its core is an objective call, how many players are on the ice. You could argue that it should be reviewable. I start to get worried because then you run into the situation of where do you draw the line, right? Because the Islanders score a goal, right? And then John Cooper could say, well, wait, two minutes ago, which is in the same whistle. We haven't had a whistle in two minutes. Two minutes ago, that looked like a little bit of a sloppy change. And now a guy who wasn't even on the ice for the goal, right, is now taking it off the board. You might run down a slippery slope if you start to try and make too many men on the ice reviewable. I think there is a way to do it. I don't think they're going to try because offsides has already kind of gotten to a slippery slope where it's like this much, this much is now like no goal where before you never would have noticed. Um, so I don't think they're going to do it, but I'm interested in what you think, Mike, because I, I think it's possible. I do. No, it's definitely possible. Um, a little more detail that needs to be than, than the offsides. I feel like the offsides being reviewable is a little more understandable and easy to view when you're going back on the cameras and looking at the replays. I feel like the offsides replay is 
necessary in my opinion, but I also feel like to be able to review too many men in the ice is doable. Like, 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 like you said, um, as long as it's not, I don't know, like the specific rules on how far the player has to be from the bench or stuff like that. But if it's a clear too many men on the ice penalty and Barry Trotz sees it, I see no issue with, with the league going back in the rule book and, and changing the rules and being able to being able to go back and challenge or review and get the call changed because that changes the whole trajectory of a game and series. So I'm fully on board. I know a lot of people hate replays and, and hate like going back looking at videos, but I'm fully on board with getting the call right, no matter what it takes to get that call right. If you need to go back, take 10 minutes to look at a call, go back and take that time. Um, players, I, I think they, they would take the break as well, that they, they, they would take that five, six minute break to go for, for the rest to go look at it. But in my opinion, it, it's all about getting the call right, no matter what that takes. And if that takes going back, replaying the too many men on the ice and taking the goal back. That's what it takes because I want to see a fair game, man. I, I want to see the team who earns a win, win the game and a team who deserves to win actually win the game with, with nothing like that happening. So, so I, I, I would like to see that happen one day. I'm not sure if it will, but like you said, um, th- there's a lot more to it than just going back and reviewing it. You have to, there's so so many more details you have to put into place when you're doing that. I'm just not sure if it's going to be possible. Um, but, but I, I think it could be, and I would like to see that be impl- implemented. Yeah. In principle, it would be a great thing to add. Obviously I think it's tough to compare it to offsides because offsides is like you said, Mike, it's way more cut and dry. And also I'm fine with an offsides call that happened, you know, a minute and a half before the goal scored ending up waving off a goal because that the puck was in the zone the entire time. Like that did, you could say directly contribute to the goal. Whereas you said it as well, Chris, I mean, what if there was a too many men, a minute and a half before and the puck went up and down the ice three or four times and then a goal was scored. And then you also have the aspect, you know, where, cause you know, you got a guy who's clearly not involved with the play, but let's say he's 10 feet away from the bench and he's clearly like still on the ice. Are we counting him as a player? What about when he's five feet from the bench? And I just think, you know, the subjectivity with that would be a little too tough. We've seen how, you know, reviewing for goalie interference that has become such a debacle over time. And, Frankly, I don't trust the NHL to, if they were to implement a rule like this, to enforce it correctly and more important to enforce it consistently. So in principle, yeah, it would be great to see something like that, but I just don't really believe that the NHL, at least in this point, has it in them to enforce a rule like this. I mean, that's even with the goalie interference calls too, Tyler. I I mean, how many times do you see a goalie interference call, a a goal get challenged and there's clearly either no goalie interference or there is goalie interference and it just gets called the opposite way. Like sometimes the replay just does not work and, and it doesn't really make sense because if you're taking the time to go look at it, you, you should be able to see the obvious call that, that someone was crushed. Like, like when, when he's in front of the goalie, he's getting cross-checked into him and falls into him and scores. I mean, you, you can't, you can't take back what someone else has given to you. Like, like if I'm getting cross-checked, it's not my, that's not my fault. I'm sorry. I'm scoring. And like, they just the refs are so inconsistent with especially goaltender interference calls that I don't know, like like you said, I don't I don't know if if making that reviewable is, is something that can help out the league, but I wouldn't hate to see it. I wouldn't hate to see them try it at least. Yeah, so we'll see what comes out of that this summer, although I'm not terribly uh confident. On the other side, Montreal also forces the split 
Uh, Vegas dominates game one, only wins four to one. But I mean, Carey Price stood on his head, gave the team half a chance, and uh, Flurry was great too. And the four one win for Vegas. And then Montreal shocks the world and wins last night three to two. Alex Petrangelo has two goals for Vegas, but three different goal scorers and a heck of a performance from Carey Price has this thing tied going back to Quebec. This is a fascinating series, man. I mean, whether you look at oldest team versus newest team or Pacioretty and that whole saga kind of coming to a head here and uh, Montreal who had the 18th. I mean, this is just classic NHL, right? The team with the 18th best point percentage got into a tournament of 16 and now is in the final four. And that's Montreal. And look, they've played a heck of a playoff. Uh, Mark Bergevin along with uh, Lou Amarillo and Bill Zito are now, uh, is now the nominated for GM of the year. And it's hard to argue with. I mean, they've had a really good run and I still don't see any way they can beat Vegas three times in the next five games, but I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. Um, it is really hard to fathom, but going back to that building in, in Quebec, I did not think, I guess here's what it comes down to. I thought there was no chance Montreal was ever going to win a game in Vegas. And they did last night. And I can't really explain to you how, um, uh, Mike, but they did. It, it I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have an answer. I don't know. I'm going into the game. I'm watching it at my buddy's house and we're like, I mean, we, 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 we think Montreal is going to get swept, honestly, like two huge games in Vegas. And that crowd is absolutely crazy. The whole pregame seeing all the lights and everything, man, it's so fun to watch. Um, And there, there was just no way I thought Montreal was going to come into Vegas and, and get a split there. And they did. And, that, that all goes on the hands of Carey Price, I think. I, without Carey Price, the Canadians are not even playing right now. I mean, he has been playing terrific in every single performance that, that he had the opportunity to play in. And without him, man, I, I don't know if this Canadian team is even halfway as good as they are right now. I mean, Cole Caulfield is playing phenomenal. Brennan Gallagher is playing phenomenal. And it has been a chippy series in every game they have played since they entered the playoffs. And, and that's the type of hockey that, that we all want to see in. Like, no, I don't think the Canadians are going to win the series at all, but I think it's going to go further than further than we all expect. Maybe six or seven, honestly, man. It's it just like, that's the Stanley Cup playoffs, like stuff that you never expect to happen. It's happening. We never expected Montreal to even be in this situation in the first place. And here they are proving all three of us wrong. Just like we have, we have been proven wrong in pretty much every series. Cause, cause I think we, I don't think we got many, right. But um, you just can't, you just can't expect anything to happen, man. Uh, I, I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a great series, and it's all gonna come down to the goaltending. I think. At least yeah, on the all side. Yeah, definitely, and on Vegas too. Also, quick shout out: we didn't even talk about him at all, but Andre Vasilevsky has also been outstanding. All four goalies in this playoff, at least in these semifinals, have been absolutely incredible. But to go back to Montreal, the only reason that it's not as surprising is because they've been just doing stuff like this for this entire playoff run. Like, there's no. I don't know why they, they are able to do this split on paper throughout the entire course of the regular season. Even the teams that Montreal versus Vegas have played in the playoff, everything points to Vegas. Everything favors Vegas and just Montreal. They, they just won the game. There's really no other way to explain it. And yeah, I could definitely see this series going, going much longer than people think. I, I thought at the beginning of the series, everybody was writing off, you know, Vegas and four. And I was like, I mean, like thinking about it, that makes sense. That's probably what should happen. But Montreal has just 
proven to be that bug that you just can't get rid of in this playoff. And they've been, yeah, exceeding the way that they play in the regular season, 18th best points percentage. And they're in the final four. It's, it's incredible. And it's something that, I mean, obviously we haven't seen a team with that low make it this far ever because top 16 teams are normally the ones that make it, but just another wacky part of this, this insane season. And yeah, going back to the Bell Center is going to be very interesting because if Carey Price can continue to carry the Canadians the way he has been, there's no reason that they can't compete with Vegas and maybe even pull off a shocking upset. Right, and I think that they're hot, right? And that, that's what we talk about. Hot goalie won you a lot of games. You win eight of, They've won eight of their last nine games now, you know, dating back to 3-1 down to Toronto. And that's not something we can necessarily write off. And, you know, I, I didn't technically make a prediction – I'll say Vegas. I would have said Vegas in six, probably, just to give Montreal a little bit of credit. But I mean, I don't. I don't think that there's any way they can win. But hey, I mean, you're going back home with a chance to go up three to one. That's that. If, if you gave them that opportunity, I, th- I think they would have taken it. And I just don't think they're going to win. But um, credit to them and credit to Dominic Ducharme and. Mark Bergevin for shocking the world a little bit here. The storyline is that this team was built for the playoffs and not for the regular season. I would argue that that's baloney and that their goalie is hot at the right time because how it's the same game. It's officiated differently. I will admit that, of course. But you still got to skate, shoot, and score. And for a while in the regular season, they couldn't skate, they couldn't shoot, and they couldn't score. So they have a hot goalie right now, and that's not to discredit it. You know, St. Louis just won a Stanley Cup because they had a hot goalie. So it can happen. But I'm not in love with the storyline that this team was built for the playoffs and not the regular season because there was such a period of time where they just looked like completely inept in like February and March. And in the first round, they couldn't score yeah. the first four games against Toronto either. I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't like that narrative. Also. So obviously Mark Bergman's done a great job. He's built this team and they've gotten this far, but I guess I was, I was kind of surprised that he got nominated for GM the air because you know, we get this, these, these sayings all the time that it's a regular season awards. I don't know if GM of the year is maybe a whole season long thing where you're taking the playoffs into account, but I mean, the Canadians weren't a really good team this regular season. If you're just basing off the regular season, he certainly didn't deserve to be GM of the year. Obviously now they've gone on this incredible run these last, this last month. So that boosts his case a lot, but I was a little surprised in that because you know, when I think of awards, I just think, you know, regular season. I don't know if that's different with GM of the year, but then, you know, you had the Panthers GM be nominated and they had an amazing regular season and then they lost in the first round. So I was a little confused by that. I read that it was that, that they voted after the, right after the first round. So oh. that, that's, that's what I saw on Twitter after I saw who was nominated. So, so I guess that's the case for that. But what, what's going to be the disadvantage for – I guess you could say Montreal and Vegas. Well, I would say more Montreal is that they don't really have, yes, they have a home ice advantage, but they don't have a full house like Vegas does, man. They don't have their fans screaming and yelling and just causing, causing like, I'm going to say a scene in, in the arena and to like help them to their own advantage. And, and Vegas has that and they have to go against that. And Vegas kind of just has to go into Montreal and battle against them. And I'm not even sure how many fans they're allowed to have, ha- have there, but it's not many. It's nothing compared to what Vegas is allowed to have. If it's the same as last series, it was it's twenty five hundred, and with that is nothing, right? And, and well, the, Vegas and the Islanders and Tampa, all of them are at ninety nine percent now. 
Exactly. And Vegas going into Montreal and having to face them with pretty much an empty arena, I feel like just gives them the best advantage possible to, to win, honestly, win both of those games in Montreal. So it's up to 3,500 now as of a day ago. Okay. So, I mean, still, though, only an Point extra stands. thousand fans. Stands. Yeah, it doesn't compare. And that's a huge arena, too. That's one of the biggest in the league. So they're, they're pushing it, but Canada's behind and not barely. They got barely even got fans in. They had no fans for the entire regular season. You know, we had fans in New York in March, and that was considered pretty late for the United States. So it's um, it's certainly interesting. It fits 21,302 people for a hockey game, and they're allowing 3,500 people. I mean, that's just – that's everything they could have wished for going into this round. I mean, what what more could they want? They barely have to see any Montreal fans, and I'm obviously all fans up in Canada are, are very passionate about, about their respective teams, so they don't have to deal with all, all the fans screaming and yelling and like that, so they can pretty much just focus on the game and, and the game only, and that's going to be a huge advantage for them going forward. Yeah, hundred percent. Let's get some picks down, Mike. You, I, unless you want to be like a flip flopper, you got Tampa against the Islanders. Yep, still rolling. Ty, I am the same. All right, well, I'm low off on the Islanders again. Oh well, and I assume we're going to sweep the board, board on Vegas, right? I mean, well, but uh, about the Tampa, I mean, I'm I'm getting kind of skeptical about about who's going to win this. I mean, what? I. Islanders are playing great. I mean, they have a, they have just as good as a shot as Tampa does. But I'm, I'm still gonna roll with Tampa. But the, uh, my, my, my confidence level is slowly get, going lower as each game passes. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm rolling with the Isles because I have to, um, and I, and I don't want to look like, you know, I want to like, I don't know, I want to get it right because my team made it to the Stanley Cup final. You know, I don't want to. You have I, no reason. You have no reason to go against them course i'm they've given me no reason the last three years to go against them i assume we're going across the board with vegas yep yep i'm eight and seven tyler seven and eight and micah six and eight just not great not good at all not no, that's not, not good let's see if someone can get over 500 not terrible though it's not terrible no not it's not terrible. terrible at all i'll take six and eight in a lot of things that that i do on an everyday basis <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to the hall of fame if we're playing baseball uh that's uh, staying in, you know, leaving the playoffs and heading to the offseason, which apparently just starts in the middle of the playoffs now. Uh, Gerard Gallant got hired by the Rangers uh, officially today, rumored to be about 48 hours ago. He goes out, wins the World Championship gold medal with Canada, and immediately takes the Ranger job. Rangers go best available, hard to argue with, and I would say Drury is one for one at an expansion draft and free agency. Um, it feels like a good hire. Uh, feels like a good fit for Gallant, and, and we'll see where it goes. But playoff, as we mentioned a million times, playoff expectations now for this team headed forward and with a new GM and a new coach. We'll see if there's a president of hockey ops coming in. I, I would doubt it at this point. Um, and off they go into the offseason, the first one in the Chris Drury era of the New York Rangers. Great, great hire. I mean, I feel, I feel like – from from a fan perspective and all all of my friends I talked to who are also Rangers fans I mean how can you hate this mm-hmm. what 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 he was able to do with Vegas in those first two years was incredible and the mindset that he has about the game and the knowledge and the willpower that he has to put forward and like do what he has to do in order to win games is it, it, just amazing and I feel like there's really no one better for the job Chris um 
Chris Jury, like you said, one for one so far, I would say, I would say an off season moves, um, did a great job with this and it was pretty quick. I mean, get it out of the way now so they can start building that chemistry with him and his assistant coaches and all the players on the bench as well. I mean, two Jack Adams award finalists in 2016, won it in 2018, just one gold. So, I mean, he, he's, he's ready to go, man. And I'm ready to see what he can provide for the Rangers and how the players like him and how he, and how the players and him interact and how they interact as a whole as individuals. And I'm ready to see it. And I really think that with him behind the bench, man, and the Rangers could be, the Rangers could be up for something going forward right now for the next two, three, four years. So, so I'm excited to see that. Yeah, it's, it's always felt like it would be Gerard Gallant. Even during the season before Quinn was fired, people were saying the Rangers should go for Gallant. They should go for Gallant. And I think if there wasn't that hesitancy with what was going on with Brendan Moore in Carolina, this could have been done even faster. This could have been done a week or two ago. I think he was always the guy, and they just were waiting to make sure that Brendan Moore wasn't going to leave. But, yeah, you, you guys hit it on the head. How could you be upset about this hiring? He was the obvious, in my opinion at least, and I think – your guys as well he was the number one coaching candidate available he's definitely a more of a win now coach we've seen what he's done with Vegas and I'm really excited to see what he's going to do with the Rangers you know he's been described as a player's coach which I think will be good for you know continuing the development of these young kids because you know Quinn was brought in as a developmental coach and Galan is obviously more of a win now coach but they still do have so many young players that need to be developed so it's going to be you know kind of walking that line of you know, winning, but also the rebuild, I guess the rebuild's over, but the development is certainly not even close to over. So I'm excited. And I think this was the move that, you know, everybody saw coming and it's going to be really interesting to see how he fills out his staff and we'll go from there, but good start to the off season for the Rangers. And I'm really excited to see how, how he handles his first introductory press conference. It's on Tuesday. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be able to be able to hear what he says. So, so I'm excited to see how he handles the media and, and kind of the questions that he gets asked and just his demeanor, his body language, and, and really just like his mindset towards where he wants to bring this team and what he wants to accomplish, which obviously the end goal is the Stanley cup champion. So I'm, I'm just excited to see what, what he has to say to all the media members and just how he acts and, and his mindset about the game and what he thinks he can do to help this team win. Yeah. I think that will be interesting on Tuesday. You, you mentioned Rod Brindamore. He signed a three-year contract extension today with Carolina. And the only thing that was really holding him out was he wanted his assistants to get a raise as well. And I guess they did because he ended up signing the contract. And it was really interesting between the Rangers and Seattle because they felt like the two big fish that were going to go after Gallant and whoever kind of got there first was going to get him. But clearly they both wanted Brindamore. So it was kind of a staring match between Ron Francis and Chris Drury of – Who's going to bite first? Who's going to go for Gallant and, and hope that Brindamore and hope Brindamore stays in Carolina and they don't look stupid? I, the Rangers waited till the last minute. Obviously, they probably got word that he stayed and he was going to stay, and and they signed him. I thought that was really interesting, and I'm interested to see where Seattle goes now because Gallant, you know, it was it was kind of stereotypical, right, for Gallant to be the guy linked to Seattle because of course he was the guy who brought Vegas to the Cup final. Um, and I'm still not totally sure why I got fired from Vegas, and that's a whole other story. But that would have been a really interesting hire. Ron Francis says he's going to hire a coach by the end of this month, by July 1st. So uh, we'll see where it goes. It's going to be hard, you know, to try and sign a free agent with no coach. So we'll see where they go. You know, his former teammate Rick Tockett is out there. 
Um, there's some other guys as well. It could be David Quinn for all we know. It probably won't be, but uh, it could be John Tortorella, which would be interesting as well. So we'll see where Seattle goes. Uh, and speaking of Carolina, last thing I wanted to mention was Dougie Hamilton. He is a free agent. He's the biggest fish on the market if Ovechkin stays in Washington. Uh, Carolina and his agent have agreed to allow him to speak to, speak to other teams, which you very rarely see in the NHL, leaning it open to a sign and trade. He wants eight years. He probably wants $8 million too. I don't know if he's an eight-year, $8 million player. Um, feels unlikely, but somebody might give it to him, but flat cap, maybe not. It's going to be really interesting, and Carolina is very confident in their offer, clearly, because they're willing to sign and trade their best defenseman uh, to a team willing to give them eight by eight. Uh, I don't know, Tyler. It, it doesn't. It feels like a very risky move for Carolina. Yeah, I if I were the Hurricanes, I would not want to get rid of this guy. I mean, him and Slavin have been one of the best defenseman pairs in the entire NHL the last few seasons. So I don't know why you'd want to break that up, especially at the point they're in where they're at the cusp, you know, maybe another piece or two and they are a bona fide Stanley cup contender. But if you're a team in the NHL and you see this, you have to be, it doesn't matter what team you are and, and what stage of contention you're in you have to be extremely excited to see that you may have a chance to get a guy like this and I'm also very excited to see how this affects the Seth Jones sweepstakes because I think Dougie Hamilton is a far better player than Seth Jones he's probably going to garner a little bit more money which you hit it Chris the flat cap that that's going to be a tough thing to navigate it'd be tough to give anybody eight or nine million with the way that the cap's not going to go up but this is going to be very interesting and I think a lot of teams, the majority of teams in NHL are at least going to not kick the tires on Dougie Hamilton because he's, in my opinion, one of the best defensemen in the NHL. And players like that just don't become available. So when they do, you would be stupid to not do your due diligence on him. I mean, I, I, think, every, I think every team is watering from the mouth to know that Dougie Hamilton could possibly be available this offseason. I mean, it's crazy, honestly, to think that the Hurricanes are willing to let him go if he gets that eight or nine million, which I really don't think he's going to be able to get obviously because of the cap situation. Um, but, it, but if you're an opposing team, you have to be willing and should be willing to, to pay him the money he deserves in order to be on a team because he is a great, great defenseman. And like you said, Tyler, no matter where you are in your development stage or contention for playoffs or Stanley cup, he's only going to help your team and make your team better. So if you're a team and you're not willing to pay him, obviously if you don't have the cap space to pay him, that's another story. But if you have the space and the parts around him, there's no reason why, why a team shouldn't be going after Dougie Hamilton. And I think, I think he's going to get paid just not what he, just not what he he's looking for. Um, but he's going to get paid. He's going to be on a team, whether it's still with Carolina or another contender, he's going to, he's going to be put in a good spot to succeed and, potentially win a cup in the next couple of years. So I'm excited to see where he goes. Um, he's a great guy all around. I love, I love listening to him do interviews. He, he's very knowledgeable, very smart, um, just a wholehearted guy. And I want the best for him and I can't wait to see where he goes. And I, I think, I, I think going forward, man, he's going to be one of the best defensemen going forward in the league for the next couple of years. It's interesting though. This would be his fourth team in his young career. If he leaves, right. He started with Boston, ended up in Calgary, then got, dealt to uh, Carolina 
So this would be his fourth team. That'd be very interesting. And it's not really his fault either. Nobody's ever said, oh, he was a locker room cancer. So we got rid of him. It's just kind of coincidence. And, you know, I, I wonder what the Bruins are thinking. You know, they see a guy they drafted and developed out for an $8 million contract and the pick they got for him, they could have used on Barzell, Connor, or Shabbat. And that 2015 draft is just brutal for the Bruins. But, oh, well. It is what it is. I don't really necessarily feel bad for them. Uh, all right, so that's going to do it for this week's edition of the episode. Five on three, just a few hours before game three between Tampa and the Islanders. Mike will have that remote coverage for us. Uh, check him out on Twitter, you know, wherever you find him. Um, he'll have that remote coverage for us. And um, we'll be back next week, hopefully, maybe with a Stanley Cup preview. Probably not. Um, and we'll definitely review everything that's happened in the semifinals. And maybe Dougie Hamilton will be on a new team. Um, and maybe Seattle will have a new coach. Lots of stuff going on in the NHL. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again next week.